Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Woodzik. This is episode 43 with Wesley Fergay and Pilar O'Connell. We're talking all about Forward Flux's upcoming productions of Green Whales and Still Life. Both shows open September 16th, run through October 3rd. You can see both shows in one night. They're both under 90 minutes. And it's going to be an awesome time. So check out forwardflux.com, get your tickets. Intimate theater, no seat is further than six feet away from the stage. Amazing casts, including Brandon J. Simmons, who was on the podcast earlier this year. So I encourage you to check out these new shows by Women Playwrights. Still Life was on one of the honorable mention lists for the Kilroys, who we talk about during this episode. This episode is sponsored by Hedgebrook, Women Authoring Change. Hedgebrook is the retreat on Whidbey Island, but it's also programs that support women writers' voices out in the world. Check out everything that's going on at Hedgebrook at hedgebrook.org. Please enjoy episode 43 with Leslie Fergay and Pilar O'Connell. I'm very pleased to welcome a new friend, Wesley Frigier, to the podcast. Welcome! Thank you. Thank you. So you are an insane person because you're directing <laughs> two plays at one time, but what I love about them both is they're both new works by female playwrights, Still Life and Green Whales. Tell me about everything. Oh my God, yeah. Yeah, so like you said, we are, <laughs> um, we are presenting two brand new plays. They open September 16th. And, um, yeah, they are two amazing, edgy, provocative new works that are written by women. Um, and they're both playing in the same space. You can actually see both on the same evening because if I'm crazy, we might as well be crazy all the way. I love it. Um, so Green Whales is a very, very dark comedy written by a playwright named Leah Romeo and it's about this woman named Karen who is in her late 30s, but she looks like she's in her early teens. Oh. So she can't find any guys who want to date her, basically. So her alcoholic sister ends up setting her up with a suspected pedophile. <laughs> <laughs> and the trouble is that she likes him. So it's a very, very dark romantic comedy about falling in love. Um, super fun. And then the other play that we're doing is called Still Life by Barbara Blumenthal Ehrlich. And it is a world premiere, actually. And the play was an honorary mention on the Kilroy list this year. We've been developing, we've been developing it with Barbara for almost a year now. Great. And it's a incredible story about this mother and her son-in-law who are waiting to hear news from her daughter who was last seen getting on a train that blew up during a terrorist attack. Wow. So they're stuck in this apartment together. They really don't get along. And we kind of follow them, their their relationship as it develops, as they, like, wait for news. And it also has this photographer character who's become obsessed with the mother. She's taken photographs of her every day. So it's about, about, a, about a few different things, but it's funny, it's heartbreaking, it's a harrowing emotional roller coaster ride. 
I can't wait to see both of these plays. <laughs> I, wa- I want to talk a little bit about the space that yeah, you chose because yeah. it's a non-traditional theater space. It's going to be very intimate, almost a salon kind of feeling to yeah. it, which I think is so dynamic and an awesome choice. And talk a little bit about the choice to do that and about the specific space, if you would. Yeah, well, at Forward Flux, <laughs> we believe that intimacy is the future of theater. I think one of the most incredible things that we can offer our audiences, and if we're thinking about entertainment dollars and how audiences are viewing theater and who we're actually competing with, I think we're competing with television, film, the internet, YouTube. Like We're just competing with so much today. So what are the what is the value that we're bringing to people? And I think it is being in the room with live people who are telling a story. That that is one of the most unique things about theater. Um, so we're deciding to really push that. So we are, like you said, we're capping. Um, we are capping our audience at forty people per performance to keep it very intimate. Every seat in the house is less than six feet from the stage. Wow. So it's this really intimate experience where you're essentially sitting on the stage. We're staging it. The the seats in the house are um, on three sides. So it's almost in the round. It's going to be at the theater space at Gay City Kaladi Brothers. It's a really cool, funky, white box space. And yeah, when you're when you're in the room, the actors are literally feet from your feet from where you are. So as they're having their moments or like hearing the news about, oh, the, there was a terrorist bombing, you're sitting there, literally inches from them as they're having these real incredible emotional experiences, and it's just so um, it's so connecting. It really connects people, I think, to the story, but also to the artists and to each other. It's not a sit in the dark and shut up type of experience, which I think we have so much in the theater, where it's very it's a very separated. It's like, we're artists, we're on the stage, we're telling a story. Your job is to sit down, mm-hmm. pay money, shut up, we don't want to hear from you, and then clap at the end and leave. And I just don't believe that. I, I think that the audience is just as important as the artists on the stage. And so we're really trying to find new ways to um, create those experiences that, that provide equal ownership for audiences. That's incredible. Where did, I mean, how did you come to that philosophy, personal philosophy in your theater making? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. I think it's kind of been an evolution. Um, You know, Forward Flux, we moved, I moved the company out here last year. I've been in Seattle now almost two years. It's almost almost my two-year anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. I love it here. And so after I, after I got to Seattle, I was like, okay, well, what do I want to do with Forward Flux? How do I want to introduce myself to a brand new audience out here? And so we started with our Flux Salon series, which was developed here in Seattle. And the whole idea was to bring readings of brand new plays into intimate spaces like 
a living room, like mm-hmm. a houseboat, like a bar or a restaurant. And those are paired with lot of visual art, live music, poetry, dance, any any number of other um, of other artistic expressions. And we we cap the audience really low so that people that come into the room can be part of the conversation and you actually meet people and then we have this interesting curated conversation about the themes and emotions that the plays evoke as opposed to saying like oh i didn't like it when the playwright said this or oh i why did they say that no i i just don't i don't i i think that's helpful in some arenas like workshop arena but for a curated reading series, I'm really interested in um, in sparking dialogue, not about right. what you did or didn't like, but about what you felt. So I think from that series, it's been so inspiring because it really just, it creates a community, which is so exciting to me. And I think that's what art can do. And, and that's what theater does best. Absolutely. You don't go to the movie theater and 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 make a new friend. <laughs> but when you come to an event at Ford Flux, you do. So finding ways that we can translate that incredible experience to our full productions has been really exciting for me. So I think that has really informed the direction. It's more, I know that sometimes we talk about... Uh, product versus process in terms yeah. of uh, the end result of a, of a production, it almost seems like you're focusing more on creating an experience yeah. versus a product. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I think I really want to create those experiences that people will never forget. Um, you know, if more and more, I just think where we as theater artists have to start competing for audiences. I'm not really interested in creating art that only artists are going to come see. Um, I'm interested in bringing in a brand new audience. And that means that we need diversity in our audience, diversity across age, gender, race, economic background, across the full spectrum. Otherwise, we're only hearing from one perspective. And I think that is also what's driving um, placing an emphasis on hearing female voices on the stage. Um, you know, for so long, the conversations dictated from the stage have been from a certain point of view. Right. And it's time for that to change across all entertainment. But I'm working in the theater. So I think as a theater artist, that's my duty to Absolutely. have some say in the types of voices that we're hearing. And I think it's an incredible opportunity to really stand out in the field of entertainment as well. If you're thinking about, if we continue to think about this idea of like, who are we competing with? Um, If we're competing with film, which we know is almost entirely male voices, um, there's an opportunity to tell female voices on the stage and attract an even more incredible, diverse audience. We know that the people who are buying tickets are largely female, and it's just a shame. And the talent. I think of how much underutilized talent that we have, it, it, even in this city. For example, in Still Life, the lead female is 
50 years, like in her 50s. And there just are no dynamic, are, there, there are very, very few dynamic roles written for women of that age. And that's such a shame because we have so much incredible talent that is just not being used at all. And I think it's time for that to change. You're creating opportunity. I love it. I want to get into your cast, but before we go there, casts, plural, but before we go there, you mentioned the Kilroy's list, and actually, I've just remembered that I haven't talked about the Kilroy's on the podcast yet. I know some of them, Tanya Siracho, Joy Meads. Tell me how you first encountered the Kilroy's and how you're using that to inform uh, your artistic decisions with the company. Yeah, you know, that's a great question because... Um, we did an open call for plays and Barbara submitted Still Life to us and we loved it. We selected it for our salon series. We actually did both Green Wells and... Oh, hello! There's another guest that just came through the door. <laughs> hello. hello! Guest, introduce yourself, please. My or name you... is Pilar O'Connell. Or mystery guest. No, no mystery <laughs> guest. Mystery guest. So we were just talking about the Kilroy's, uh, Kilroy's list, and then um, how that sort of has informed the artistic decisions for the company. So continue, please. Yeah, so... so she submitted the work. Yeah, and we, we read it, we loved it, and we said, okay, let's do it at, at our salon. And then basically at the end of the year, we looked at our six salons that we did, and we chose our two favorite pieces. And Still Life and Green Wells were right up there. So we said, let's move forward with full production. So we've been in communication with Barbara. We actually flew her out in June and we did a fantastic 30 hour (laughs) workshop. Yeah. 30 hour workshop. Yeah. Yeah. And then a reading, a private workshop reading. Um, and that weekend we actually found out that it was an honorary mention on the list. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. So, you know, it, I think moving forward, we hope to be pulling more off the list, but this was actually kind of like the reverse. Happenstance. You're already making good decisions, and then they were uh, substantiated yeah. by the feminist universe. I love it. <laughs> Absolutely. And it, you know what? The, the great thing about the Kilroy list is that it exists. The bad thing about it is that many people don't know it exists. Right. Or they do know, and they're like, ooh, neat. But I think... As I don't know, in my opinion, as like a going forward thing, I think any theater that's doing contemporary work, and if it's by women, why aren't you looking at that list? It's an amazing resource. Like it's, a, it's it's provided. It's it's a resource that's provided for you. You actually don't have to do any work, so you should just look at it. Can we take it back for those of our listeners who might not know what it is? What would be the sort of Cliff Notes version of what this resource is? Yeah, I mean, to, uh, I think it's. An incredible collection of brand new plays that are written by women. That's kind of like the that's the the, whole thing. the, the headline. Um, I think this year they had sixty something plays that were actually on the list, and then like a hundred something that honorable were honorary mentions. mentions. It's uh, they had this year. It was uh, the fifty three most recommended new plays by a female or trans authors. For the, and they do a survey. It was national. Uh, a survey, yeah. And each play received either between a four, four and 20 nominations. And um, then they have, I believe they have several readers. Um, it, 
I'm on the website. Um, <laughs> and what so, is, get, let's give a shout out to the website. Yeah, it's uh, thekilroys.org. So and it's, we'll have that in the episode yeah, description. So T-H-E-K-I-L-R-O-Y-S.org. <laughs> and uh, the, the list 2015, and I'm quoting direct from the website right now, includes the results of the second annual industry survey of excellent new plays by female and trans playwrights. It is a tool for producers committed to ending the systemic underrepresentation of female and trans playwrights in American theater. They surveyed 321 influential new play leaders, artistic directors, literary managers, professors, producers, directors, and dramaturgs who had read or seen at least 40 new plays in the last year. And each one re- recommended between three and five plays, identifying a total of 755 uh, among the best work they had encountered in the past year. Yeah, it's pretty. It's a pretty incredible resource. So it's great that it's out there. Yeah, and it, it, like everyone should check it out. Like all the rules about like being eligible and the the authors. I, I think it's really great. I, I would love to see with the Kilroy's next year, um, uh, the percentage of people of color, women of color, who have written yes. those plays. I think that's just as important as the fact that it's women, women of color, big deal. Um, and, and having that on the list, I would love to see, or people being able to at least do the math and the data, mm-hmm. I think is, I think the Kilroy's is a great system. This is only the second year it's happened. So I'm sure they can grow more and more with more data, but I think, yeah, it's, it's a resource. People just use it. It's right there. You can look it up on the internet and be like, there's a play by a woman and it's not recommended. We should probably read it and do it. And it's really in response to artistic directors and, and, and leaders in the theater community saying, we can't find plays by women. Yeah, then, it, then that's an excuse and that they're lazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's Absolutely. really what it is. Then it's an excuse you're lazy and you're not reading and you're not doing your job and why are you an artistic director? <laughs> Hello. Absolutely. I just sort of like... <laughs> I am a non-confrontational person. I am so not, like, obviously. That is, a thing, like, that is what my inner monologue would say, oh, yeah. but my Midwestern nice, you know, kind of gets in the way. Oh, no, anytime. Anytime. I got you. I'll just cough and be like, <laughs> yeah. I need you to talk to this person yeah, for yeah, me. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing, is if, if you're not, the new works by women, uh, by trans artists, and by artists of color are out there all the time. If people are saying that they can't find those work, they aren't seeking them, and they are not doing their job. Because that is what you should do. If you're a literary manager or an artistic director, that's what you should be doing. And if you're not, you're wasting your time. That sums it up. I will probably get fired at some point by someone. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but giving zero anything. Sorry. Yeah. I love it. Can we take it back a notch? Uh, talking about you read, a, how many plays did you read over the course of the Salon series? And what was it about these two plays that sort of had them rise to the surface? Yeah, well, we had a, almost like 500 plays that were submitted to us. Wow. So it was like, it was really interesting, actually. I think that I learned several things just from that number, which tells me something about the lack of opportunities um, to to have your voice heard. And, you know, I mean, we I, I believe in paying artists, so I pay everyone. <laughs> that works for Ford Flux. Um, and so I think that, you know, that probably... But we're not talking about gigantic sums of money. Right. Um, so I think that told me a little something about just the state of the landscape of theater in America, which is, you know, we're kind of in trouble. <laughs> and um, so... 
so we read, you know, we read tons. And um, my literary manager, Benjamin Benet, who's also a playwright here in town, read, I, I don't, I, I literally don't know how many plays he read because he read so many. <laughs> but we look for plays that speak to the right now. I am, as a company and as an individual, actually, I'm really interested in seeing stories that are speaking to the world that we live in today. I'm tired Honestly, just frankly, I'm tired of seeing stories that have no more relevance. Right. Like, or it has a forced relevance where it's like, oh God, but it's, even though it was written a hundred years ago, it's just still so relevant today. (laughs) Well, yes, that's great. And you know what? That really does have its place. And I'm not trying to put people down that do those types of productions. I think that's fantastic. But where, where, where are the people who are investing in today's voices? And, and. And I, I just think we have such a deficit in the arts of new voices that what what's going to happen in twenty years? Who are the wh- where are, where are the classics going to be then? Where are the classics that are going to be speaking about what we're going through right now with all the race, all the all uh, like just living in the terrorist age? I mean, hello, like <laughs> like what? I th- so I think it's really important to like keep your pulse on what people are thinking about or keep your finger on that pulse so that, so that we can tell stories that are not only relevant, but also interesting to new audiences. Otherwise we're going to keep losing audiences to television and film. It might, it might, uh, Attract someone to the theater who's never been before. Exactly. Or who's been sitting on the fence. Yeah. Every time we get a new audience member into a seat, it is an incredible opportunity. And I believe with all my heart that we have to stop squandering it mm-hmm. on telling stories that are completely out of touch. <laughs> it, like, the fact of the matter is people are going to view theater, like the broad spe- spectrum of theater, even though like my company is totally different from the fifth and totally different from the rep and all those things. The fact of the matter is somebody's going to walk in and say, oh, you know what? I saw a play. And I had a bad experience, so I'm not going to see another one. They're not going to say, oh, I saw a play at X company, but maybe I'll consider Y company. It, like, we're not really in that state anymore. We don't have that luxury. So I think we need to come together as a community and start really striving to tell relevant stories. Absolutely. It's like there's so much energy in the room. Obviously, on a podcast, you can't necessarily see that or feel that, but it just, <laughs> in the room, it just feels electric. And I'm so glad that both of you are here talking about this. <laughs> Let's talk about your cast. So you have one of your cast members here. Yes. What do you look for in actors and putting together these dynamic, intimate experiences? I am really drawn to actors who can create incredible moments that are full of life. Um, yeah, it, w- when you're sitting less than six feet from a performer, you can tell if they're lying to you. And <laughs> I think that we have the most incredible castmates or cast members, and I think none of them are lying in their performances. They're sharing something from their own soul. So I think it's electricity. And so that's really what I look like. That's really what I look for. Those electric performances. Yeah. And Pilar is so incredible as the photographer in still life. Um, Oh, shucks. (laughs) 
But she really, you know, I, and I think along that line, everyone in our cast is creating these emotionally resonant performances that I believe are going to electrify the audience. Absolutely, and they're doing it. Uh, what I enjoy about working in with the cast that I get to work with, everyone's doing it without being indulgent. And, I, and that's super important. And then also, just like speaking for someone who was in the casting process as, as an auditionee, what was important is Wesley was, was really, uh, Wesley and Ben were really conscious about uh, making sure that they didn't get a fully white cast, um, which was really important. Uh, for still life, especially that's the one that I, I was able to go in on, and I think that that was, it's it's very important because it's speaking of uh, life in the terrorist age and what is America, and America is no longer white America. So the experience of the terrorist age, not just having white America, was very important, and it's so important for that to be existing mm -hmm. in this play, um, because the experience of how someone deals with grief and terror and humor and just being alive is no longer just a white experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that the fact that you guys took the time to really l seek those actors of color out, mm -hmm. seek seek that out, like you were like, there, that is there, the talent is there, we're, we're gonna find it. Like, mm -hmm. it's it, like even if they don't come to us, we'll seek them out, was really, uh, I think, important. And that's like, and now the group of actors that we have in the room, myself, Brandon Simmons, and Gretchen Duma, it, like, not to tutor on horns, but actually to tutor on horns, because we're <laughs> fucking, it's a powerhouse. Yeah. Yes, you can swear. Okay, <laughs> permission granted. Okay, great. Yes. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a powerhouse, and it's and it's like, and I appreciate also the fact that uh, that Wesley and Ben were seeking out actors of color for these contemporary parts. Like, it's uh, Barbara did not write still life for certain people. Therefore, yeah. who does it? Therefore, who does it right, and who can represent the characters correctly? And that's what Wesley was able to find. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, we talk a. Well, we've talked a lot about gender parity, but creating oppor equal opportunities for actors of all colors and ethnicities is just as important. Um, you know, we actively seek out artists of all colors for almost every single role in the salons and in our stage Absolutely. productions. It's incredibly important, not just for equal equality, but also for creating stories that are representative yeah. of the world we live in today, which is not an all-white world. Exactly. And no audience member, any, like, audience members don't, I feel like, and especially audiences of color, um, don't come to shows to see, like, the Brady Bunch, you know? Right. They come to shows, they come to theater to see, to like relate to somebody and to have an experience that that person can they're 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 having that experience and the audience member is like oh i've had that experience and that is the magic of theater because it is crossing a line and then you get out in an hour and a half and you have this magical experience where you're almost watching yourself but you're not sure and if you're always watching a white actor play those characters you're actually not going to be able to relate it, it, it fully doesn't matter how good they are because they don't understand the cultural significance of being a person of color, whether that be Hispanic, whether that be African-American. Like, it, it's, and I think that's a great, a still life is, is a great example of that. Like, it's, it's a great example. What is, what is a family? In this, a family is, like, you don't see one of the characters that are talked about, about a lot, but what is a family? A family can be many things. A family does not, nobody, not everyone has to look alike. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is what Forward Flux is doing is really important. 
the fact that seeking out like women and trans playwrights, huge deal, okay? And then also, um, and doing new plays, and then making sure that the new plays aren't just one cultural identity story. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Can you I talk mean, a little bit about how you find, how do you seek out diversity in, in your actors? Like, in yeah. case another theater is wondering how yeah. I could be better at doing that. I mean, not me personally, but... Well, so. you know, it's something I hope we... It's something that I hope we continue to get better at. I, I don't know if I have, like, a silver bullet. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, actually, in point of fact, Green Whales is an all-white cast. So, you know, I mean... I think that we have a lot of opportunity to continue to grow. Um, but one of the things I did was very early from the time that I moved to Seattle was just try and get out in the community and see productions. I saw Brandon Simmons in um, a production of Hands Up. I don't remember. I, I apologize. I don't remember what it was called, but it was it was a collection of. It was Tyrone Brown's co the collection. He had collaborated, or he had curated with, it with, yeah. Um, yeah, with the Hansbury Project. Yeah. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, I saw him in that. It was a collection of monologues written by Black men in America. Oh wow! And I saw his performance in it, and I just was so electrified by it. I was like, "That's Donald. That's Donald right there," and just sent him an email and offered him the role. I was like, I was like, I, I know you have what it takes to do this based on what I saw. Um, so I, I think getting out and seeing productions that don't have all white casts are a great way to find new talent. Right and on. also making sure that when you're releasing your casting statements, that it's very clear that you're actively considering people of all races. And if you're not, that you can also state that too if you have a race specific role that like don't don't fool people <laughs> like if you're looking for a white actor for a role for some reason why don't you just go ahead and say it instead of stringing people along exactly and, and I, I think that's what happens a lot ex ex yeah exactly and what you what forward flex does that uh, I, I haven't seen a lot of new companies doing or companies that really are committed to contemporary work, and I think everyone should move towards this, is you go and seek out the diversity versus being like, well, come to me. You know what I Bring me mm -hmm. this. Where, like, the fact, because people of color feel constantly oppressed in many ways, mm -hmm. and sometimes it's hard to put yourself out there. So the fact that you're able to seek them out and be like, yo, I want to work with you, um, please, <laughs> Is, is a huge deal versus being like, we are taking, uh, we are interested in people of color and then just sitting back and waiting right. for them. Right. Yeah. The, the fact of the matter is that the theater landscape in America is one that you're not going to overcome by putting one statement down on a piece of paper. You're just not. So many times, like how many times have actors of color gone out for roles and not gotten them based on the color of their skin? Countless and countless and countless. So you can't just assume putting something on a piece of paper is going to have people banging down your door for a role that they could perceive you're not even interested in seeing or in actually casting them. You're just putting a statement on a piece of paper. Absolutely. Good advice and people <laughs> take it to heart. 
I just like I want you guys are amazing. So I just kind of like I forget that I have to ask questions sometimes. Um, we've gone through the cast of Still Life. Can you take me through the cast of Green Whales? Yes, yeah. So we have um, an incredible cast for Green Whales. We have Rachel Ann Godby, Craig Peterson, Leslie Wisdom, and Clayton Michael, and um, they are actually all based originally in the Pacific Northwest, which is kind of unusual and cool. Um, Leslie Wisdom and Rachel Ann Godby play this powerhouse, dynamic, incredible sisters. And, you know, it's a real, it's a real, um, the, the show has this really heightened comedic feeling. It's hilarious. It's one of those shows that you're laughing so hard, you kind of forget how uncomfortable the material is. (laughs) You get out and you're like, wait a minute, did I just laugh at that? Um, So those two women are just delivering incredible lead performances. And also, I think, doing something that we hear a lot, a lot of narrative around, which is that women can't be funny and women can't carry a comedy. And I think these two women are really proving that wrong. And then they're supported by... Um, two dynamic males who give great, great performances. Fantastic. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about the schedule? So you can see both shows in one night. You can come see one show one night, come back and see another show the other night, and and what your intention was in building that schedule like that? Yeah, you know, I... Well, I work a crazy schedule. (laughs) Like, getting... Even making an 8 p.m. curtain for me is very difficult because I normally can't get out of the office, you know, before like 6.30 or 7, and then you're rushing, you can't eat, you're like shoving a sandwich down your face, right. and then, you know, like you're, and then you're, you're barely sitting down as like the curtain's coming up, and then it takes you like 15 minutes just to like relax, because you were rushing to the theater. So I wanted to play around with some later start times, so we're doing 7 p.m. and 9 p.m. Both shows are under 90 minutes, with Woo. no intermission, <laughs> which I think... Love. I like how it says on the website, <laughs> as it should be. <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, it's like, uh, it's just, if you're going to tell a longer story, you better be sure that you need the additional time. I see so <laughs> many stories that I'm like, I could have got the point. I, you could have said everything you wanted to say in, in under 90 minutes. And I think that's the case for most plays. It's definitely the case with these plays. And I, it's so tight Everything that's in there absolutely has to be, and there's nothing in there that shouldn't be. So, so um, yeah, by starting at 7, well, what we're learning is that audiences like early start times. So giving people a 7 p.m., and then also the opportunity to stay, take a 30-minute break and, and stay and see a double feature. And we're offering discount tickets for those people who would like to see both shows in one night. So I think it's pretty exciting. We're going to see how it goes. We're, you know, we're learning as we go. We're testing this model out. So I think that's exciting. I think also that there's an option to get valet service for your yeah. car. Because right? parking to get a show, how On many Capitol times Hill. is that like the yeah. stress, most stressful yeah. thing ever? Yeah. Um, and so uh, when people go to buy their tickets, where will they visit to yeah. do so? People can visit forwardflux.com. It's F-O-R-W-A-R-D-F-L-U-X.com. And, yeah, you'll see on there, we are pricing our tickets to represent what I believe is the economic landscape of America. 
you know, we talk all the time about the haves and the have nots. And I think it's time we start creating pricing models that are representative of that. So we have a subsidized ticket program. Oh, fantastic. We are offering tickets starting at $5 for every single performance. Once the $5 tickets sell out, it goes to 10 and then 15 We also have offer like our full price tickets that people can buy anytime. But then on the upper end, we have... Um, our VIP patron tickets where, like you mentioned, they can pay an additional, it ranges from, I think, 40 all the way up to $150 a ticket um, to receive, like, a free drink. We have, like, some couch seating where you can sit down on a couch instead of, like, an uncomfortable theater chair. <laughs> and uh, donated valet parking from Lux. And the money from those tickets helps offset our subsidized ticket. Pricing. So we're, we're, what we're finding is that people that have the means are excited that they can pay more money to guarantee that people who can afford it can also be in the room. You know, we so many times we offer like, oh, discount student pricing or something, and those tickets are still $30 or right. even $25. There are so many people that can't afford that. What are we doing for those people? I think it's important to have them in the room. Absolutely, there's nothing like a five dollar ticket for and for an, a piece of theater. That's, that's almost unheard of. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the fact, yeah, I mean, I know when I was in school, and now sometimes I'm like, okay, I could go see this play, or I could put gas in my car to like go to to do things that I need to do to get paid. Yeah, it's 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 a choice. You make a choice, and a lot of the time, the choice is which is the right choice is to put your gas in your car mm-hmm. because paying thirty dollars for one ticket or even $40 for one ticket when you're a college student, when you're recently graduated, when you're trying to work in town, when you're really anyone because having a job in this economy is insane, um, yeah. is, 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 is sometimes pretty outlandish. And I think that's great what's happening is the fact that we have those people that are willing, our donors, that are, or people who are like our donors that are willing to pay more money so that people can buy a $5 ticket and see some theater. Yeah. Because you can't make theater for, you can't, theater is not only for the well-to-do. Theater is, is an art form that should be for everyone, mm-hmm. and mistakenly, in many years, it has been the art form for the well-to-do. Yeah. I think it's also, w- one of the key differences about our subsidized ticket program is that it's for any age or industry. Exactly. I see a lot of, oh, it's for people under 30. Oh, it's for people who work in X industry. And I don't think that's actually representative of the reality. The fact is, there are people who are in their 50s who can't afford a $30 ticket. And I think it's just as important for them to be in the room. So buy whatever you can. That's our motto. Exactly. Buy the ticket that you need. I just love... It's, it feels really flexible around making it the best audience experience for each individual audience member. And I just want to give you props for being flexible in that way. And I would like more theater companies to be like that because sometimes you know the people you most want in the room you know starving artist actor types there's someone who can really appreciate a five dollar ticket that would make the difference between them being able to come go and not go like it's it's constantly a fight you make with you that you have with yourself it's Mm -hmm. like can i afford this ticket okay i can't get a comp to this can i afford this 30 dollar ticket and for me a lot of the times it's like probably not yeah like i i actually can't and I feel bad that I cannot support communities like the community that I work and live in in many ways sometimes because I can't afford mm-hmm. a $30 ticket and I'm 27 and they have the like the un- many theaters have like under 25 
I mean, I play 18 all the time, so does that still mean that, like, I can do that? Yeah. But, like, at the same time, it, yeah, it's like, okay, well, does that mean that at 25 I should I should be able to have my life together? Because, hello, like, probably not. It's sort of making a judgment. Yeah, it's me. You should be an adult Sometimes by it's like, age. because it's like, right. okay, or that because I can't pay for those tickets, I shouldn't be able to go to theater. Mm-hmm. And, like, why? <laughs> like, I, I would like to know why. <laughs> that said... Our $5 tickets are going fast. Super fast. So, so we guys, encourage get on this. everyone to go on yeah. and buy their tickets at fordflux.com. Yeah, <laughs> super fast. And yeah, I think that these, both both shows in particular, like nothing makes me happier than anything under 90 minutes. I'll tell you what, that is amazing. Yeah. But in having two shows under 90 minutes, you're on, if you can see both, you're on for the ride. And you get two shows in one. Like the, you could see one show for three hours. And, like, and, um, I, I, yeah, and like come to both, come to everything, support new work, support women playwrights, support artists of color, like support contemporary work because this is what we will, we are able to build our community on. And if we do it, if we try to really like, if we shut out things like what Forward Flux is doing, then it, the community is not going to last. Yeah. And so it, it's, it's something that it's, it's important. And I think as many people, theater or non theater, should come see it. They're both great plays. They're really relevant. Um, and yeah, it's a bang for your buck. So like, <laughs> It's a bang for your buck, yeah. yeah. Come and see the shows. Exactly. I want to sort of, as we, as we sort of wind down a little bit, I want to talk, just focus in a little bit about uh, each of your personal philosophies around craft. Leslie, you are new to me. I just met you tonight, and yeah. I'm so glad that I did. But... <laughs> Madame, I have seen you on stage, and I love your work. Thank I can you. fangirl out a little bit now. I loved you Thank in you Bunnies, and I adored you in Wizard Pizzer. Thank you. And so if you guys can talk about your sort of personal philosophy around directing or acting a little bit, um, I would love to hear your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, what can I say? I am a gigantic fan of creating real moments on stage. Um, you know, our salon series, which is one of like, I think it's probably what we're best known for right now in Seattle. We've done 10 salons. Um, I'm always pushing my actors to create an incredible, polished, resonant, emotionally present performance even though it's just a reading you know um i maybe my philosophy could be summed up with if it could be perfect why isn't it i believe in i believe in creating shows that are the absolute best that they could be not just good and, and so when I'm in the room, I'm always pushing my artists, maybe even harder sometimes than they want to be pushed, because I believe in the talent that we have in the room, and I believe in the story that we're telling, and I believe that we could have an even better show, an even better, it could be even better. And if it could be, why not go ahead and make it? I don't know. I don't know if that's my philosophy, but 
Um, I don't know if that's answering your question, but I think... I feel that was a really authentic answer, and thank you for it. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Okay. Um, be true... Like, I guess mine is... And I've been doing theater for, like, a weirdly long time. Um, <laughs> I started when I was four, because that was, like... My mom put me in acting class, and so, and I was like a chubby kid, and soccer's like wasn't something that I could do. So, like, <laughs> that's kind of what I did. And I guess my thing is like, be truthful and be authentic. Um, don't try so hard, like, don't indulge in it. Just be a person because everybody that you're playing, even when you're playing like what is a not person, like Caliban, it's still based on like what, feelings, humanity, having a brain, talking, words. And be a person, uh, be truthful and authentic. Don't be afraid to fail. Fail, and then fail better. Like, keep failing. And, and keep trying and failing. And uh, as an actor, man, it, like, it sucks a lot of the time. It's, it's really hard. Like, it, it comes in waves, too. Like, your success comes in waves. This year is a really successful year for me. Last year, not as much. Um, it really comes up and down. Mm-hmm. And, like... Find something else you like doing when you can't do it. Uh, but yeah, just be truthful in everything that you do. I feel like as a, as a life motto, be truthful and know who you are. Represent yourself. And don't feel sorry if people aren't willing to take it. Mm-hmm. Because that just means that they're not willing to take it. It doesn't mean that you're bad. It's like, I, I, I'm, always, I'm always encouraging my actors to take their masks off. Yeah. If you can... If you can give a performance that's revealed, it's much scarier than being naked. Exactly. Like, yeah, just be you. And I think that's enough. Yeah. Like, you're enough. And if you're not, then, like, that's somebody else's judgment and choice. And I can curse on here. Fuck them. (laughs) So, like... (laughs) But, like... Yeah, because it's like, at the end of the day, like, I'm definitely not, like, what is sought to be, like, whatever Hollywood, all these things. Like, I'm a chubby girl, and I speak for myself, and I speak up a lot, and I, sometimes it isn't the best thing to say. But at the (laughs) end of the day, I don't really feel like apologizing for any of it, because I'm trying really hard to just exist, and be an actor, and a person, and an artist. And if other people don't like that, that's fine, but, like, I'm not going to change because of what they want. I don't need to, like... There's no reason that I shouldn't get to play the roles that I am good enough to play because if, if somebody thinks that I physically should not or if the fact that I'm half something else I should not, I'm good enough. So there's no reason I shouldn't be able to. And it's everyone should feel that way. You're good enough. So keep trying. Because, like, Seattle's hard, and being an actor is hard. And there's, like, and, and believe me, you can ask Shane, my partner. I'm always like, I fucking, ugh, I hate everything. I never can do this again. <laughs> He's always like... You're just you, and maybe you wasn't what they needed for that part, but that doesn't mean it's what, like, this person isn't going to need. So, yeah, I mean, just keep fighting the good fight. And I guess that was more, like, philosophical than what you necessarily <laughs> wanted, but, like, at the end of the day, I yeah, love that answer so much, I almost cried. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, as a, like, yeah, just fight the good fight and be you. And, like, put yourself out there, and sometimes it'll be what people want and sometimes it won't, but that doesn't mean that you should stop. Thank you guys for being on the podcast. Yeah, I like you being you. You guys are pushing the envelope. Forwardflux.com. 
The link is going to be in the episode description. Green Whales and Still Life play September 16th through October 3rd. You're going to want to see both shows. Very intimate audiences, so get your tickets now, people. Jeez. My get mom's coming. Everyone wants to meet her, so you should all come. <laughs> come to see Pilar's mom. She's pretty cool. It's the only reason. <laughs> <laughs> Their shows are great, but Chris O'Connell will be there. <laughs> I can't think of a better way to end the podcast. So come, come for the amazing theater. Stay to meet Pilar's mom. Thank, thank you guys you. so much. All right, thank you. Thank you. you.